Turn in your Bibles today to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 15. Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. And when you're there, say hallelujah. hallelujah. All right, everybody look this way. Look behind me. If you're there, say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of one was Shiphrah and the name of the other was Puah. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on their birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then you shall uh, let her live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are lively or vigorous and they give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. I want to speak to you today on the subject uh, glisten and glitter, glisten and glitter. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I have sought you privately and now I seek you publicly for you to add your unction to the preaching of the word and that your spirit, Lord, would not only rest upon the speaker today but upon the hearers as well. God, there's no time that we spend in your word that is wasted, but Lord, we, we need to experience you in and through your word today. We're asking you for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Give the Lord another hand of praise. Amen. Amen. Crystal and I were so very excited when we learned that she was expecting our first child. We had actually been married for over seven years before we had our first child, and that was, that was by design. We were, we were ready, we thought. We were ready to have a child. And if some of you will remember, uh, that, that first child, everything is new. Everything is exciting. You know, when you have your first child, you're not sure if anybody can even touch it, look sideways at it. Your second child, you may miss them for 45 minutes before you even know that they're gone. You're just not, you're just not that enthusiastic about it. But that first child, although we love our king. But that first child, everything's new. And boy, the, the, the time came. We knew we were getting close to the due date. And the time came and Crystal started feeling those contractions. And so we rushed to the hospital, so excited, worried, uncertain, didn't know just especially, you know, daddy's pacing up and down. We went to the hospital and the nurse came out and said, it's Braxton Hicks. Anybody remember those days? Amen. There's always, there's always a warning shot. But then the day finally came and, and we got there and they set us up in a nice room. Both my children were born right over here at, at uh, Coffee Regional Medical Center. And uh, the doctor came in to deliver the child, and, and uh, Crystal was there, of course, and I was there, and her mom was there, and I will say this, anybody that ever talked to you about the beauty of childbirth ain't never seen it, I'll tell you that right now. 
Uh, it's a miracle, but it's a rough one. And uh, the doctor was there, and we didn't know because we had never experienced it before. Crystal didn't know. I didn't know. We didn't know what was going on. But we could tell that Crystal was having a little bit of a difficult time and that Cameron was having a little bit of a difficult time getting here. And I saw Dr. Steve Diamond. I saw him as he was delivering my child quietly, calmly, and coolly. I saw him take his two forefingers and the umbilical cord that was wrapped around my son's neck. His face was blue. He wasn't crying. I just saw him just very deftly just take and with a couple of swift movements just expertly unravel that umbilical cord so that Cameron could breathe. Dr. Steve Diamond has saved the lives of two of the people that are most precious to me. It was Dr. Steve Diamond that a couple of years later found the mass uh, in my mother's abdomen, which turned out to be cancer. He's the one that found it. He saved my mother's life. He saved my son's life. The Bible talks about two midwives, Shifra and Pua. The Bible's unclear really who they were. We don't know a whole lot about them. We do know that it was their profession to be midwives, we don't even know if they were Hebrew or not. The scripture is just not quite clear. They were either Hebrew women that served as midwives <coughs> to the Hebrew uh, mothers or they were Egyptians that served the Hebrews as midwives. We're not really sure who they were. I think it's most likely that they were Hebrews. But the Bible tells us their name. Now what's unique about this is that the Pharaoh, who is, one, is the main villain in the Exodus story, that the Pharaoh is not mentioned by name. He's simply referred to as the king of Egypt. This was the most powerful man on the earth. He was the man that was uh, uh, in charge of the world empire at the time. And yet his name is not mentioned in Scripture. But there are two midwives whose names are mentioned in Scripture, Shifra and Pua. Now, a rabbi of the 11th century A.D. said that he thought that they were Jochebed and Miriam, Moses' mother and sister. I think that's probably just fancy. So we don't really know who they were. And some commentators think that maybe they were the chief over as many of as 500 midwives. They were not... Uh, just simply two midwives. Some think that these ladies served as the chief, but we really don't know. We've got more questions than we do answers. What we do know is, is that they served as midwives to the Hebrew women. In fact, that word midwife actually means with the woman, with the mother. That they came alongside and they were with that mother during a time, especially those first mothers, during a time of pain, during a time of uncertainty, during a time they say that a woman is close to death while she is giving birth. 
And all of that was happening and these two loving women, compassionate women were there. And that brings us to our first point. When people are at their worst, they need somebody to be at their best. When people are at their worst, they need somebody to be at their best. When people are at their weakest, they need somebody to be at their strongest. When people are out of control, they have a need for somebody to be in control. That's why I so admire doctors and nurses and EMTs and firemen and policemen and all of those first responders. It's a wonderful thing for a pastor to come along when your loved one is in the hospital or in surgery for a pastor to come along and weep with you or for a family member to put their arm around you or for a friend in the church, a brother or sister in the Lord to say, I'm praying for you. That's a wonderful thing. But I'll be honest with you, if a doctor were operating on one of my children, I wouldn't want tears to dim his eyes. I wouldn't want him to be such an emotional mess because of the human suffering that he couldn't do his job. I want him, whatever button that is that they push or switch that they, that they turn, whatever it is, whatever knob that they turn around that switch them, switches them into kind of a cold, calculated, calm mood, that's what I want. Because when I'm out of control, I need somebody to be in control. Amen? And I'm amazed at how medical professionals and firemen and policemen and those that are in the service industries that serve humanity, how they're able to go in to circumstances, things that would, for most people, uh, it would turn our stomach. For most people, it would break our heart. For most people, we would want to turn away. We'd want to close our eyes. We wouldn't want to operate in that. And yet day after day, night after night, these people go in and when, when they, others are at their worst, they're at their best. Rachel had a midwife. Rachel was traveling from uh, uh, the house of God. She was traveling from uh, the house of God, Bethel, to Bethlehem or Ephratah to a fruitful place and halfway in between she goes into labor. And she has hard labor, the Bible says. It was difficult labor. In fact, Rachel died. And in dying, she named the son she was giving birth to, she named him Benoni, which means son of my suffering. And Jacob overheard it and said, no, no child of mine is going to be known as that. And he named him Benjamin or Benjamin, which means son of my right hand or son of authority. But the midwife was there with Rachel during that hard labor. She remembered when her older son Joseph was born. She remembered that he was named Joseph and Joseph, don't name your child Joseph because here's what it means. You're going to have another one. That's what Joseph means. So if you only want one, don't name it Joseph. And while Rachel was struggling to birth this child, struggling to give birth, when she was at her worst, the midwife was at her best. When she was at her weakest, the midwife was at her strongest. She said, don't worry, don't fear. You will have this child also. 
Whenever we are in the presence of God, we're like Mary, the mother of Jesus. The Bible says that the glory of God overshadowed her and that thing that was formed in her was the child of the Most High. And whenever we get in the presence of God, God impregnates our spirit with something. God gives us dreams, he gives us visions, he gives us callings, he gives us burdens. He, he, he does something in us that begins to grow inside of us. And we have to, whenever we've been in the presence of God, we have to start practicing some prenatal care. We have to take our spiritual vitamins. We got to cut out some of the things that we used to take in. Right? How many of you women, when you were expected, watch what you eat? Laid off of the caffeine. You adjusted your lifestyle because you didn't want anything to damage that that was growing on inside of you. And there are Christians out there that may be exposed to things or do things or act in certain ways that, uh, that they feel good about. But you can't afford to do it because you're pregnant. You can't afford to do it because you got something growing inside of you. You can't afford to do it because God is up to something in your life. Let them go where they want to go. Don't go there. Let them do what they want to do. That's between them and God. But you don't want to do anything to damage that dream that's growing inside of you. So you're careful. You watch what you eat. You watch what you do. You want to be careful. One thing you don't want to do, you don't want to abort that thing that's growing on inside of you. Isn't it amazing that there are women in this world that would rather snuff up, stuff out a, lie, a, a, a life than start showing pregnancy weight. There are women in this world that would rather snuff up a, a life than to change their lifestyle. Isn't that incredible? That somebody would make that selfish decision to snuff out a life. Well, I'm telling you, spiritually sometimes Christians will say, you know what, it was wonderful to have that experience with God, but I don't like what this is doing to me. I don't like the changes that are going on in me. I didn't sign up for this. I just went to church to get a blessing. I didn't go to church for my whole world to be turned upside down. Don't you think there are people that have been in a church service and in the altar, God spoke to them and said, I'm calling you to preach or I'm calling you to be a missionary. And then somewhere out there they said, that's not what I want. It was wonderful to get the blessing, but I don't want to give birth to this baby. You don't want to abort it. You don't want to miscarry. You don't want to do activities that are anywhere going to harm that child so that it will miscarry. But listen, if God has impregnated something in your spirit, if God is doing something on the inside of you, you want to do what Rachel did. You want to do what these Hebrew women did. You want to call somebody to assist you. You need somebody when you're giving birth to the things of God, somebody to tell you when to breathe. Somebody to tell you when to push. Somebody to stand by your bed and hold your hand and said, don't worry, you remember you've been through this before and the God that answered prayer before will answer this prayer. You'll have this child also. It's going to be all right, honey. We've been down this road before. Hang on. God's going to give birth to that beautiful baby that he promised you. He's going to give birth to your dream and to your promise. And I believe that it's the church's role to be spiritual midwives to help people give birth 
to what God is saying and doing in their life. If you believe it, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Because when things are at their darkest, servants shine the brightest. When things are at their darkest, darkest servants are the stars that shine the brightest. September 11th, 2001. You know, for my dad's generation, it was December the 7th, 1941. Day that will live on for infamy. My grandfather's generation, my dad's generation, it was uh, 1963, I think it was, when Kennedy was shot. For my generation, you remember where you were, what you were doing, what was going on when those uh, terrorists flew those planes into the Twin Towers building, but ran into the building. And thousands were saved because they would run in and carry this one out and run back in and carry another one out and run in and lead another group out. And thousands were spared because servants shine the brightest when it's the darkest. I looked up Shifra's name, and Shifra's name means fair or beautiful or literally to glisten. That's what her name means. I looked up Pua's name, and it was a little harder to track down. I found a lot of information, but two uh, of the uh, Hebrew dictionaries that I trust said that her name was Splendid or Glitter. Think about these two Hebrew midwives, Glisten and Glitter. Well, wouldn't you like somebody to put that kind of moniker on you? They, boy, they just glisten with the love of God. They're just, a, they're just a bright star in a dark night. I'm going to tell you something. We're living right now in perilous times. We are living in dark times. And God has not called you and I, as the saying is, to simply stand and curse the darkness. Anybody can do that. But he is calling us to shine as light. So let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good work and glorify your Father in heaven. And instead of getting online and ranting and raving about how bad the world is, how about getting online and bragging about how there's an answer and his name is Jesus Christ. Servants shine the brightest when it's the darkest. Now, glisten and glitter probably were barren. They may have even been unmarried, or if married, they were barren. I read one commentator that said that uh, even the status, the office as midwife was kind of reserved for barren women. I, I don't know that. But it does seem that they didn't have a family. They didn't have a household of their own. So out of their own need, they couldn't have children. But rather than sit around and weep and cry, they said, I can't have children, but I'm going to make it my life's goal to help somebody else have their children. I can't have a family. I don't have a family but I'm going to be a blessing to other families. I remember my Aunt Eva Carver. Aunt Eva uh, never had any children of her own, her and Uncle Tom. And then Uncle Tom passed away uh, in uh, probably, I, I would imagine probably his 40s. But I'm going to tell you that woman became a mother of the church. 
There's no telling how many people stayed in her home, how many people she fed around her table. And she was a, a, a pastor. No telling how many souls were born into the kingdom of God. There's no telling how many spiritual babies she helped deliver. Matthew Barnett, the son of, of Tommy Barnett. Tommy Barnett's been one of the leading pastors in the United States for many, many years. At one time had the fastest growing church in the U.S. They sent his son over to Los Angeles, right in the middle of the ghetto, right in the middle of the hood, to a little church that was running about 40 with gangs all around. It's one of those situations where the neighborhood had changed, but the church had, you had these, you know, white, conservative, middle-class people, elderly driving in to the ghetto to go to church. Matthew Barnett went in there and looked, and he said, folks, we could sell and move out somewhere that's more comfortable, but we would leave this place in darkness. Why don't we try? to win some of these gang members? Why don't we try to win some of these prostitutes and some of these drug addicts? God began to bless them and they were given the old hospital. He named it the Dream Center. He's got one floor that's just for unwed mothers. One floor that's for those recovering from drugs and alcohol. One floor that's for the homeless. It's open 24-7. It's called the church that never sleeps. And if you ask Matthew Barnett about success, he said, I don't even try to be successful in ministry. My dream is to make your dream come true. That's what my dream is. It's not about me. It's not about me getting on the front page. I'm going to tell you my own nephew, you mentioned him today, when my nephew was on a singing competition in L.A., away from his family. He was out there for weeks. This guy that is world-known, you know what he did? He reached out to my nephew. He took my nephew out to eat. He invited my nephew to his church. And when my nephew and Josh's family could not be there with him in L.A., you know who sat in the audience there to support a young man he had never met? Matthew Barnett. Why? Because his whole life, his whole dream is about making other people's dream come true. If you want to be miserable, sit around and worry about your own problems. If you want to be miserable, try to fulfill your own hopes and dreams. But if you want to glitter and glisten, just find somebody that needs help and start pouring into them. You'll find you'll shine the brightest when it's the darkest and you give out of your own need and God blesses you and blesses others. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And so they are called in by Pharaoh. He said these Hebrews are growing too fast. He'd already tried through hard labor to stop them. It didn't work. They still prospered. He tried by limiting their rations. It didn't work. They still prospered. So he said to the midwives, 
He said, whenever you see a baby boy born in a Hebrew house, kill it. And Shephra and Pua got together and they feared God more than they feared the king. It is better to obey God than man. It's a strange thing about Christians. Christians make the very best citizens of any nation. Christians believe that when they obey the authorities, they're obeying God. Christians believe that we are called upon that the powers that be are ordained of God. And that it is not only our responsibility as citizens, but our responsibility as Christians to come up under governing authorities. And we make the very best citizens until the government says you can't preach no more. Until the government says you can't worship Jesus anymore. Until the government says you can't pray in public anymore. Until the government says you can't share the gospel anymore. And then we become the chief of rebels. Thankfully, we've grown up in a nation where we have had freedom to serve God. And obedience and allegiance to our nation has not conflicted with our obedience to God. But can't you see where it's headed, folks? Can't you see the handwriting on the wall? Don't you realize that we and our way of life are under threat? And there will come a day where you're going to have to choose whether I'm going to obey God or obey man. And let me tell you, choose to obey God. Don't be silent and proclaiming that Jesus is the one, the only one. He is the way, the truth, and life. There is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved but the name of Jesus. Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin. And they realized they were popular because of the healing of the lame man. So they wanted to let him go, but they warned them not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John stood flat-footed and looked the Sanhedrin in the eye and said, you're going to have to make up for your, your own mind for yourself whether or not it's better to obey God or man. But as for us, we cannot help but to tell the things that we have seen and heard. And when they got back to the church, The church rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And that same group that was there on the day of Pentecost were refilled with the Holy Ghost and the whole building began to shake because God rewarded them for fearing God more than they feared man. The Talmud said that God actually delivered that generation, the Exodus generation, delivered them because of the righteousness of the women of that generation. And two of those was Shipfra and Pool. Evidently, they lied to Pharaoh. He called him and said, why hadn't you been killing him? He said, well, the women give birth before we get there. Because the Bible tells you what happened, it doesn't mean 
that it endorses what happened. It's not a message that's telling you it's okay to lie. But with their understanding, with their mindset, and with the situation that they were in, God rewarded them not because they were untruthful to Pharaoh, but because they were true to their convictions. And they would not bow down, and they feared God more than man. They refused to murder babies. It may come a time, even in the good old U.S. of A., that we may have to make the choice to obey God instead of obey man. Lastly, principle we learn from Shifra and Pua is God honors those who honor Him. The Bible says that because they feared God more than the king, God gave them households. That, that term is sometimes used like with King David. King David wanted to build God a, a temple, a house. God didn't let him. But God said, because you want to build my house, I'm going to build your house. I'm going to build your dynasty, build your kingdom. And how many knows when Jesus comes back, who is the son of David, the descendant of David, he will rule and reign this earth from the throne of his father David. So God said, because you want to build me a house, I'm going to build your house. I think probably what this means with Shifra and Pua is, because you honored me, I'm going to fill up that thing that was lacking in your own life. You've helped others have their babies, now I'm going to let you have a baby. You've helped others build their families, now I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to give you a household. I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to reward you because you honored me. It's always a, a dangerous thing to start bragging on people from the pulpit because the people that you're not bragging on say, what about me? But I think of Cynthia there. Cynthia's had it tough. Cynthia lost a daughter. She lost her sister, who was also her best friend. She's lost a couple of brothers. She had to say goodbye to her husband. She's had ill health herself. You know what Cynthia does? She doesn't, she doesn't sit over at her house, draw down the shades, depressed, Counting how many times somebody else calls her. How many times somebody stops by and sees her. You know what she does? She gets out and finds somebody to be a blessing to. When you could get in the nursing home, every time I went out there, she was out there just about. She saw my grandmother more. She, she would stop by and see me at church. She'd say, your grandmother says, hey. And she's not the only one in this church. There are people in this church that out of their own need have chosen to be a blessing. Now, you know what that does for them? They're blessed. When you sit around and wait to receive blessings, you're miserable. But when you glitter and glisten, 
and prove yourself a blessing. You are so happy. I can't, I can't explain this to you. But there are times that I have left the hospital, visiting somebody in the hospital, and all the way down the hall, I find myself whistling. On the way out to the car, I find myself a little spring in my step. You know what that is? That's the joy of the Lord. God honors those that honor him. You may feel like that you're losing in the short term, but in the long run, God's going to establish you. He's not only going to bless you on earth, but he's got a household waiting for you in heaven. I've gone to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place, I will doubtless come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again, that where I am you may be also. Eric, Eric Little was a son, uh, 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 as I close, he was a son of missionaries. And he had a special talent. He was as fast as grease lightning. So he was selected to run in the, uh, in the 100 meter race in the 1924 uh, Paris Olympics. He was going to represent Great Britain. But when the schedule came out a few months ahead of, of the Olympics, he realized that the 100-meter race was on Sunday. And whether you think this should have been his conviction or not, it was his conviction. So I can't run on the Lord's Day. When the people of Great Britain found out he wasn't going to run because it was Sunday, they turned on him. People called him a traitor. Even from Buckingham Palace, the envoys of the king reached out and said, we need you to run. I can't do it. It's on Sunday. The door opened up for him to run the 400-meter race. That wasn't his specialty, and he had never performed very well. But the day of that race, the masseuse of the Great Britain team, a trainer, a support system to the athletes, came up and slipped him a little, just a little sheet of paper. And put it in his hand. And there little opened it up and read it. It it was a paraphrase of 1 Samuel 2 and 30. It said in the old book it says. He who honors me will I honor. And when Eric Little ran that 400 meter race. He had gripped in his hand the promise. He not only won the race, he set a world record. 1984, they made a movie about that called Chariots of Fire. And it was all because somebody clung to the promise, if I'll honor God, he'll honor me. Now sometimes that means you get the promotion. Sometimes that means you get the recognition. Sometimes that means you get a bigger house. But I'm going to tell you, even in this life, if it seems that it didn't work,
Can I tell you the race ain't over yet? (laughs) There's a finish line out there. And what I'm running for is I'm clinging to the promise. He who honors me will I honor. Amen. Amen. So we're going to glisten and glitter until he comes.